Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm Sammy Womack, and I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement, and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode This week, you have just me and this outline that I have in front of me to help me get through this kind of difficult episode for me to record. I've been procrastinating on recording this episode because I knew that it would be digging through some past trauma, some emotion, and literally things that I had to work through in therapy and things that I've had to work through forgiving myself for. So this might be a little bit of a hard one to record. So bear with me (laughs) as you're listening to this. Uh, Before we jump into that, I do want to remind you guys that we are in the middle of my Vlogmas extravaganza over on YouTube. This is where I'm putting out a new video every day from December 1st to December 23rd, every single day. It has been so fun. These are really short videos. Most of them are under 10 minutes and I've had a lot of fun with the editing. So there, some of them are kind of silly and they are like just hitting you with straight facts, straight encouragement, straight motivation. Um, like there's not a lot of fluff and, you know, wasting your time. It's, you know, right to the point. So if you enjoy the podcast, you are going to also enjoy the YouTube channel. So I'm going to link to it in the show notes, but of course you can always go to YouTube and just search a sunny side up life and you're going to find me. And there is a whole playlist on the home screen of my channel where you can catch up on all of the vlogmas videos. And don't forget to um, like and subscribe to my channel while you're over there because subscribers are what actually is going to help me get closer to monetization and be able to make some money on my YouTube channel. And I have to be able to, um, I have to get to a thousand subscribers to be able to do that. So I'd appreciate your support over there as I'm trying to grow another platform. And you guys have always been so supportive here on the podcast. And yeah, so, okay. Stop procrastinating, Sammy. Just get into it. Um, If you hear loud noises in the background, my children are playing video games. So, you know, bear with me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I, like most people, have, you know, those memories, photos, and posts that pop up on my Facebook. And I don't really post very much on Facebook anymore. But obviously, before Instagram was a big thing, that was my go-to. So I have a lot of pictures of when my kids were really little and before they were born and things like that on Facebook. So the other day, a post popped up that was the memory of the ribbon cutting ceremony for my auction house. Um, If you're not familiar, I was an auctioneer in my past life. (laughs) Um... My grandpa actually um, actually got us, my grandpa actually got us into the auction business first. And when I was in my last year of college is when he got his auctioneer license. And I was, my, our plan was for me to kind of take over like managing everything as far as like you know, be, being the boss basically, um, after I graduated college and he would still do the auctions. And my mom has always, you know, done the auctions too. And it's been a family affair. And, um, then kind of our adopted family that we gained through the auction and people that helped us worked for us and are now still basically family to us and all of this. And so the plan was once I finished college, I was going to take over managing everything because it's not my grandpa's strong suit and take over like the money and the advertising and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And he would still be there to actually help me call auctions and organize and, um, you know, do like the labor part of it. And 
so that's what we did. I worked for him for that last year of college. Um, and then I worked for him through being pregnant with June. I did graduate college like 10 weeks pregnant with June on purpose because I was so impatiently waiting for us to start our family. And so it was all, it was all planned. Um, it was all what I wanted to do at the time, which I think is what hurts the most when you look back on things that ended up to not be the best decision is that in the moment I was doing what I wanted to do, right? What I, what I thought I wanted to do. And so I, um, I worked for him while I was pregnant with June. I, I did take over the business and then I grossly, grossly underestimated what it was going to be like to be a working mother. And my family has always been entrepreneurs. I have always grown up. I, I grew up, you know, tagging along with my parents and all of their different business adventures. When I was born, um, my first few years of life, my parents had donut shops um, also something that my mom, my dad, and my grandpa all did together. And I, you know, my sister and I would be napping in the back room of the donut shop. We had a TV, we had a bed back there. We would play, you know, in the, um, in the, in the donut shop, we would help, you know, all of that. My dad did, um, remodel projects, home building projects. We would tag along with him sometimes when we were on breaks from school or on some on the summer break or something like that. Um, then when we moved to Texas, we bought a marina and a restaurant and we had um, cabins, like RV hookup spots, boat launch, all that stuff, um, which if you ever see on my Instagram stories when Daniel and I go to the lake, most of the time we go to the lake that um, we met on and where my family had our marina on. And so then, you know, from like 10 to 15, that's, you know, we we helped our parents run the restaurant at the marina, run the store, you know, clean the cabins, do the laundry when guests would check out, you know, do yard work, like all the things we had to do at the marina. And then after that, my dad became a full-time home builder when I was 15 until he passed when I was 20. And so for those five years, I would help him build houses, do drywall, run electricity, carry wood, you know, do orders, like help him pay his employees. (laughs) Like I did all those things. Um, And so then basically, actually, my dad was still alive when my grandpa started the auction. And so it kind of overlapped there for a little while. And so you can imagine, I mean, literally from as lo- when I was a toddler in a donut shop to all the way in my early 20s helping my grandpa run the auction, I've always been involved in the family business. I've either been waiting tables or sweeping up nails or <laughs> doing something. And so when it came time for the fourth generation to be born, my kids, I thought, you know, this is just what's normal in our family. It didn't seem that crazy. It seemed like, you know, I was raised with my parents in their donut shop. So why couldn't June be raised with me at work at the auction house? And it it was, it was very normal to me. And it, it was like, I never really even considered anything else. I mean, I no, that's a lie. I did consider daycare. And I remember a couple of times of actually like Googling daycares and stuff, and they were so expensive. And then, you know, just the homeschooled kid in me, I was homeschooled most of my life. And I just, you know, I spent a lot of time with my parents and I spent a lot of time with my siblings. And it was, it's one of the good parts of my childhood. You know, it's one of my favorite parts of my childhood. And so I thought, why, why break that tradition? I'm going to raise my kids at work. We're going to spend time together. I'm going to homeschool them, you know, in the back room of our shop. Like I was homeschooled. And we're all going to be together and we're going to do life together. And, you know, essentially that's not really much different than we're doing now. But that was my plan. Okay. So June's born. 
um, I'm, you know, I take over the auction business when she's about nine months old. I ha- finally like have enough time to study and go um, to the auctioneer's school, which is like actually eight days. It's like a thousand dollars. It's it's a big deal. Like there's so much more to it than I actually thought there would be. So I do that when June is about nine months old. It's the first time that I spent more than a couple hours away from her, like a quick overnight stay with a grandma kind of thing. It was the first time that I was actually away from her. And I remember bawling my eyes out on the drive because I didn't want to be away from her. But I knew that like I wanted to do this auction business. Um, and And I wanted, I wanted to have a career. You know, I went to college, I got my bachelor's, I minored in entrepreneurism. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to make my own rules, you know, have flexibility with Daniel's off time, have flexibility to be with my kids the majority of the time. You know, I knew all that. I knew that was like, that was my heart. That was the foundation. And so I thought, you know, the auction business, why not? You know, my family, we already have our foot in the door with it. My grandpa was already doing so many auctions. I was more or less running the auction. I just couldn't technically run it without my own auctioneer license. And so I wasn't really that interested really in literally calling the auctions and doing all the, you know, bid calling. But to technically be the boss of an auction house, you have to have your license, whether you hire an outside auctioneer or, or not, you know. So to put my name on the signs, put my name on the bank account, things like that, I had to have my license. Well, then that kind of led into, this is kind of fun, you know, and I, I got better at it. And um, I actually enjoyed getting up in front of people, which was so weird for me because I'm a total introvert, very shy. I mean, stereotypical homeschooled <laughs> kid. And I, um, but when I got the microphone in my hand, I felt like a different person. You know, I commanded the room. I honestly loved the attention. I, I loved being in control of the situation, being the boss. I loved the fact that being a woman auctioneer was very out of the norm. And so it, a lot of people, you know, would get a second glance from people. It would, you know, and plus I was so young, it would get, a lot of it would get attention. And so I, I loved the attention. I loved people being impressed by me. That's just my, you know, I'm a three on the Enneagram. So uh, yeah, I'm the achiever. Um, so I loved that, that praise and that recognition. And I thrived on it. And plus, you know, I was working with my grandpa and my mom every single day. I had my daughter with me, you know, it seemed really great. And Then there was slowly more that started to chip away at my, I don't know, my core values, my heart, things like that. So then this is, this is the part that gets hard to talk about. So we had the back room, you know, set up for June, much like I was raised, you know, when it's nap time, you go into the back room, you know, kind of sort of office (laughs) area and you take a nap in the playpen, right? And that's what I did. I turned out just fine. And that's what I did for June. I had her a playpen. I had, you know, toys, you know, I had a mini fridge with snacks and all the things. She had tons of toys. She had, um, a walker to walk around in. Um, she had everything really that she needed. I remember times of like when Pandora was brand new. <laughs> I remember us like one of us would sacrifice our phone to leave the phone in there so she could have Pandora like lullaby music for her to take a nap at work. And I would plan my work around her nap time, much like I did after I started my blog, you know, when Melanie was a baby. And I would, you know, I knew that she would take an 11 o'clock nap and I knew that she'd sleep for about an hour to two hours and I could get a lot of work done. And, you know, she'd take another nap right before we'd go home and things like that. 
And then it would come the time when, you know, this wasn't a blog, you know, this, this was a real (laughs) storefront business with real customers coming in and out. Um, We also had like a resale shop and we also, you know, did some other things other than just the auctions. And so this was constantly customers in and out. This was the phone ringing. This was, you know, it needing to be a professional environment, professional, I do air quotes professional because, you know, like we wore jeans and tennis shoes, like it wasn't that professional, but, um, you know, it needed to not have a baby screaming in the background when I answered the phone to speak to customers. It needed to not have a toddler running around in just a diaper when she was teething and had a fever. You know, it needed to have, if it was going to have a child there at work with her mom, it needed to have a fully dressed, well-behaved, polite, adorable child, right? It had to, it had to check all the boxes of what I considered to make me a good mom, a successful mom, not a mom who was a hot mess. You can't be a hot mess in front of your customers. You know, you can't, you can't have a crying, throwing a tantrum baby in front of customers. And so that pushed me into my ultra hyper perfectionism that it already exists in me. Um, people pleasing, you know, um, achiever, look at me, aren't I successful kind of natural personality from, I don't know if that's from being a Leo, from being a firstborn child. It's a perfect storm of all of the things, (laughs) um, which is, that is something that I had to learn in therapy. Like that's who you are, Sammy. Okay. So how can we, how can we, um, not exploit that? Like, how can we use that to your advantage, not to work against you? (laughs) You know? Um, so yeah, that's learning yourself for sure. And so there became this, I can't be a hot mess and neither can June. And so then there was raising a child literally six days a week Sunday was our only day that we were closed from, we opened at 10 o'clock until five o'clock, but on auction nights, auctions didn't start till seven. So we were there past midnight on auction nights. Oftentimes we were there till midnight setting up for auctions. If we were doing estate auctions, we were at people's houses then talk about, I mean, oh my God, what are you supposed to do with a walking toddler around valuable antiques, right? Oh my God. I mean, you can just imagine the stress level that I was constantly under six freaking days a week. And the perfectionist level, she can't break anything. She can't throw a fit. I can't lose my cool with her, you know, um, she had to be fully dressed, which it seems like so silly, but like babies don't want to be fully dressed. Anybody who's raised a baby can tell you that a baby doesn't want to be fully dressed the majority of her day, shoes all, um, always with a bow in her hair. Because if my child has messy hair, what kind of mom am I? You know, you can't even dress your child. You must be a failure of a mother. Her clothes always had to match, which meant that if she spit up or if she got food on her clothes or if she got dirty because it was, it's an auction house, basically like a warehouse. Like it was, you know, when we're bringing in dusty antiques and, you know, old furniture and things like that. So everything's dirty always. So she falls down, she crawls on the floor, she has to be changed. So literally packing an entire backpack, sometimes she'd go through, I don't know, four, five outfits a day. She had to always match. Her bow had to always match. Just a level of perfectionism that when I look back is sickening to me. But it mattered so much to me in the moment. 
And I also think back what is super painful is I think back and that we did that for the first two years of June's life, six days a week, all day long for two solid years. That was our life. That was, that's the foundation of her. She doesn't remember it now, but it's in there. It's subconsciously in there. Just like I don't remember being at the donut shop with my parents until I was four, but it's in there. Subconsciously, it's in there. And it breaks my heart to know that that's how I started her life. Don't cry, June. Don't fall down. Don't get messy. Don't break anything. Don't touch anything. Don't be a mess at all for any amount of time. God forbid you're clingy and you won't go down for your nap because mama has work to do. We, we don't have time for this. You need to go to sleep when I need you to go to sleep. You need to be quiet when you're awake. Right? All my moms, like, do you feel that trauma <laughs> that I've had to work through? And so I have instilled the worst of my perfectionist qualities now in her. So that's something that is really, I don't think, I don't think I'll ever fully forgive myself for that. Um, and that hurts. I mean, honestly, like it's, a, it's about to make me cry right now just thinking about it because I feel like my biggest job in life is to be their mother and to be their ally in the world. And that's how I started it. And I, you know, I can look back and say, you know, I was 22. I didn't know what the hell I was doing in life in general, especially being a mom. I was brand new, you know, to it. And I did my best. And I look back at pictures and I know that we were happy. Of course we were. We had so much fun together. And I did spend all day with her and my mom. And we have so many memories of auctions and June doing silly things. And we were on our way to an auction when she said mama for the first time. Um, one of the, the, the very first time that she walked in her walker, not by herself, but in her walker, we were at the auction. Um, I have memories of her, you know, dancing to music and being, you know, a silly toddler. And, you know, I have, I do, I do have a lot of really good memories. And it was, I still think better than probably being away from her and like, you know, putting her at daycare all day and missing some of those moments, um, you know, and there's pros and cons to daycare and I'm not like bashing anyone that chose that. Um, so I look back on all of that and I have to work through that little bit of failure that I feel as a mother. Okay. And so then let's fast forward in the story. So then at that first auction house, um, after I had become, you know, the manager or whatever, I decided that to grow the business, we needed to move to a bigger building, a nicer building, and much more expensive building. Because, you know, when you're buried in debt and your business is struggling, what better to do than move to a more expensive building? So this more expensive building was basically the final nail in the coffin for me. Um, so we moved there. And it did not last very long. I mean, like a few months. It didn't last very long at all. Um, gosh, how many months was it? Maybe four? <laughs> like it was not very long at all. And so we moved there. This is where the me the picture, the memory popped up on my Facebook was the ribbon cutting at this new building. So here June is almost two. I'm trying my best to patch holes in this sinking ship of a business that now I'm in charge of my whole entire family um our most of our friends you know I hired I half the people that I hired were friends outside of work anyway and so all these everyone including my mom and my grandpa were depending on this auction business and here I am you know I'm what 23 at the time a mom of a one-year-old with a husband that works offshore half the time um, in charge of all this. 
And, you know, I'm the college educated one. You know, I was the first one to go to college and graduate college in my family. And so, okay, college girl, you know, you're so smart with your bachelor's degree. Make this business work. And I couldn't. And I failed at it. Um, and if you guys ever hear me talk about the piece of commercial property that I had, that was one of our last debts that we ended up selling. It was just raw land. I bought that land. Um, actually my very last day of college was the day that I closed on that property. And our plans were when I could afford to, (laughs) to build on it. And we were going to build a big auction house with a resale store on the other side and do this whole thing. And I failed. I I couldn't even keep the auction business open. I couldn't get approved for a small business loan. I could barely afford the monthly payment on the raw land, let alone the loan to build what we wanted to build. I couldn't even pay the rent. I don't know why I thought that I would be able to build a half a million dollar huge auction house resale store like I don't know. I have, I have no idea what I was thinking. I, I didn't know any better, honestly. Um, and everyone around me just kept pushing me, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. You know, businesses struggle. You know, the average business doesn't make a profit in the first five years. Just keep going, just keep going. Debt is normal. This, this exhaustion is normal. You know, you're a young business owner. You have a young daughter. Everything you're feeling is normal. Just keep going. Just keep pushing through it. It'll it'll work out. It'll work out. You know, on Sunday, just catch up on your sleep. And then just Monday, get back up and just keep going. And so I did. And the other part, the other cherry on top of the auction business is the clutter. So we are selling stuff that other people don't want. Um, we were doing a lot of estates. We were doing, um, wholesale auctions basically where, you know, you're getting things in a case of 12 (laughs) for dirt cheap and it's such a good deal. So why not buy it? And then you're there and then you're in the middle of it and it's so normal and you literally spend your entire week setting up clutter, and then talking people into buying the clutter. So then you're surrounded by all these good deals that you have to, you know, you feel like you have to take advantage of yourself too. So you're constantly, constantly buying things for yourself. You're constantly talking other people into buying clutter. You're constantly talking people into spending money that you know good and well they don't have. Well, how many times I had people, well, can you hold that check? Or, you know, they'd have a truckload of stuff and their card would get declined or they'd pay cash and, hey, I I bought more than I thought. Can I come back and pay you the rest tomorrow? You know, constantly dealing with people that you knew good and well were overspending. I'm talking like customers that would come and buy a thousand dollars worth of stuff and then next week come back and do the exact same thing. And you know they didn't have a retail store. They were literally taking all this stuff home. Yeah. Yeah. So that pressure of like now as a minimalist, I can't even think about like doing that for myself, let alone basically coaxing other people into doing it, pressuring them, selling them, all this stuff. And so it was it was that. It was oh my gosh, all the clutter. It was the constant stress of working the six days a week. It was the late nights. It was the eating habits. So I've talked before, if you've ever heard me say that we were the type of people that would eat out two or three times a day, like so much eating out. This was why I would get up in the morning. I would grab donuts on the way to the auction house. We'd eat donuts for breakfast. We'd eat like McDonald's or Sonic or Subway or something for lunch. If we were lucky, we would get home in a decent hour and we could eat dinner at home. But about half the time, we would still be at work. So we'd order a pizza. We would, um, you know, go get McDonald's again, whatever. Um, Auction nights were the worst. 
we would basically not eat dinner. And then about midnight, we would go to like IHOP or wherever was still open and eat some crap there. And then get home at like 2 a.m. and get up the next morning and be at work by 10. And I jugged June through all of that. All of it. And so then, you know, there was no time for household management. I would buy all this clutter at the auction and take it home. Put it in my room. Set it up. I had a huge pile in my room. I had the garage was completely full. We had an outside storage building that was completely full. Um, you know, June's room was basically like a maze of walking through clutter. And there was no time to go through it. There was no time to unpack it. We'd bring in a box of clutter. And then by the time it was time for the next auction, we hadn't had time to go through the first box of clutter. But they were such good deals. But she loved this toy. Why not buy it for, you know, all these things? And I think a lot of it was overcompensating for. I felt guilty for forcing her to take a nap when I needed to get work done. You know, just putting her in her walker when I couldn't hold her. All the, you know, all the things. Um, It's a lot of the reasons why a lot of people have shopping problems and clutter problems. It's overcompensating for other, other things that are a mess in your life. So we're there. We're at that point. Um, I'm in the new auction house. I have the ribbon cutting ceremony, which is the picture that prompted this whole wanting to share the story with you guys. And I'm flipping through the pictures and I get to this picture. I'll share it on my Instagram for you guys. Um, but this picture of June in her dress that I very thoughtfully, you know, picked out. Like, I put a lot of thought into it. I picked out the perfect bow that matched. Otherwise, she looked perfect, you know, in my eyes. And there was a lot of times where I wasn't always watching her. You know, somebody, one of my friends that worked for me um, that ran, like, the office part, like, um, would check people out like the cashier section of the auction um she usually would babysit june during the auction and you know make sure she ate and if she needed her diaper changed and things like that and or my mom or somebody else would be watching her you know it wasn't always me it was you know it was a a group effort (laughs) and so i didn't know that this had happened but we had a cake for the ribbon cutting ceremony you know and the chamber of commerce was there And look at me, I'm successful, college girl, making it happen, you know. And the Chamber of Commerce posted on their Facebook page later that week. You know, I didn't know this picture had happened. This picture where June was eating cake. And her face was covered in icing, like any almost two-year-old eating cake. And I died inside. Like, not only was she a mess... I wasn't watching her, (laughs) so I didn't know that she was a mess, and then it was posted on the Chamber of Commerce website for everyone in the world to see what a mess my daughter was. What a crappy mom I was, because I was working, wasn't watching her, she was messy, and it was all a reflection of me. And now I can look, I look at that picture and I feel all those memories, but also I see an almost two-year-old eating a piece of cake and she had an adorably messy face. But at the time, that's not what I saw. I saw all of my failures captured in one picture. So then about a month or two later, I found out I was pregnant. And Daniel and I talked about it and I said, you know, I was already kind of on the brink of uh, why did I move into this new building? I can't afford it. This is really like what is going on. We were so broke personally. Um, We were juggling money back and forth from personal to business, from business to personal. You know, it was all tangled up. We we were juggling keeping anything paid on time. Um, All while driving our $900 a month truck. So just, you know, keep that in mind and living in our 3000 square foot house. Um, and I found out I was pregnant 
And I told Daniel, I can't do this with two kids. There's no way. And so I announced to everyone that I was going to be stepping down, that my grandpa was going to take over, but he was going to move to another building. Um, he was going to move to a cheaper building, a smaller, you know, we were going to take a couple weeks off, reassess everything. Um, but that I was going to be closing down in a few weeks. And then I had a miscarriage after announcing to everyone, after letting everyone down, all of our vendors, you know, people who sold with us that depended on it for their livelihood, my family, everyone that worked for me. So not only was I letting everyone down, then I had a miscarriage and didn't quote unquote have a reason to close. So then I had to deal with, do I tell people I had a miscarriage? I only have a few more weeks until I close. I can just pretend like I'm still pregnant. So that's what I did. <laughs> I told a couple people that I was close to that I did lose the baby. But everyone else, I just kind of let them think that I was still pregnant because it was my out. It was my out. It was easier to lie um, and just let people think that I was still pregnant. And so people would say, how are you feeling? Are you having any morning sickness? No, I'm doing okay. Yeah. And so then I closed, um, then I came home and part of me really wanted to be a stay at home mom. You know, I really, I wanted to spend all day with my kids, obviously, or I wouldn't have drugged June through all of that because I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to eat every meal with her. I wanted to wake up with her. I wanted to, you know, be with her all day long. But then the other part of me worked really hard for that bachelor's degree. The other part of me was a natural born entrepreneur. And I couldn't, you know, I felt like a failure for giving up on that part of my passion. But I also felt like a failure on all the shitty mom stuff that I had done in the past two years. Um, so I come home kind of begrudgingly, like I failed. I, I didn't want the business to fail, but it failed. I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it up. I had to pass it back over to my grandpa. Um, I couldn't manage the time, all the things. Um, and we did want a second baby. So not long after we had the miscarriage, we did start trying again immediately. And we got pregnant with Izzy not very long after. Um, so quickly, though, I mean, so close together that some people just assumed that Izzy was the first, was the other pregnancy. Um, it was like that close together that some, you know, people we weren't close to that didn't keep up with the weeks very well. They just assumed that, you know, that I never had a miscarriage. They never knew it was that close together. Um, so that was kind of convenient in the fact that I didn't really have to own up to my lie. So we had her and that kind of, you know, if, if you've ever had a miscarriage, you know that it doesn't replace, but it does kind of help to fill that void, that emptiness, um, and that's a lot of why I call Izzy my angel because she did. She saved me. She saved me. You know, I was in such a dark place. I had failed at being a mom, according to me, because I'd done such a crappy job June's first two years. Then I had a miscarriage, which obviously I assumed was my fault. Um, I failed at the business. You know, I was in this, I, my house, you can imagine, was full of clutter, you guys. Like, I, I, I mean, 3,200 square feet with a maze through the bedrooms. Like, that's how much clutter. How? how? <laughs> um, and then our, our financial situation. I still owed so much debt. I had a few thousand dollars, I think maybe like 5,000 of bills that I still owed when after I closed up the business. I still had that raw piece of land that I paid $600 a month for until I resold it. So I had a lot of debt that I took with me. I took IRS debt from not properly claiming income from the business because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I paid about three years of IRS debt on like income that I hadn't claimed properly. Um, so that was a few thousand. I took a lot of debt out of the business with me. 
And plus just all of the personal crap that had piled up from eating two to three meals a day out to juggling, you know, paying bills on time to driving a $900 truck, $900 a month truck through all of this. Like it was all just a disaster. It was all just, it moved so fast. It was so cluttered. It was so unorganized. It was all over the place. There were no goals. There was no focus. There was no household management. There was no direction. It was just waking up every day and just barreling through it and juggling and trying to keep my head above water and do it all with a toddler. And so when I came home, it all crashed. You know, when you're juggling, you're juggling, you're juggling, you're juggling, and you stop juggling, everything falls down on your head and breaks all around you. And that's what happened. And my depression caught up with me in a hurry. And so I laid there at home in my clutter, pregnant, not feeling like, you know, feeling like I wasn't doing that great of a job with the first kid. Let's just throw on a second one. And it was a crazy year. It was a crazy year. Um, it was our rock bottom. And so I stayed basically in this depression the whole time I was pregnant with Iz. Then the first few months of her life, because I was still like, what do I do? And it all piled up. It was so much. It was so much. And so she was about, Izzy was about nine months old when I started our budgeting journey. So it took me that whole nine months of her pregnancy, nine months of her being born. So about a year and a half. Um, so it was probably closer to like 20 months or so from the time I closed the business until actually starting our debt-free journey. So I basically sat in wallowed in my, rec- my, my rock bottom for over a year and a half. I sat there and basically spent my tires, felt sorry for myself, and did nothing about it other than survive through it for almost two years. And it hurts to look back. It hurts to look back on the failures um, of the lack uh, in my motherhood that obviously I'm going to be my hardest critic on that. Um, It hurts to know that I can't get that time back. It hurts to know that I failed at a business. I let so many people down. I let so many people down. And I would go back to the auction because my grandpa, you know, he just moved to a different building and he kept going and he still is doing the auction and my mom is still helping. And I would go back occasionally for um, up until right before I had Melanie So, um, another two or three years in there, I would go back every once in a while, you know, like for big estates and I would help call auctions because I still had my license, um, things like that. But every time that I did, it was like, God was telling me, Sammy, you don't belong here. Something would happen. I don't know if it was me looking for signs or if it really was God saying you don't belong here. Um, there was always, there was always something. That would remind me, you don't need to be here. You need to be home. And so I did that until right before I had Mel. And then I completely quit. And I let my my auction, I let my auctioneer license expire. Actually, my very last auction that I called, I was uh, maybe like four or six weeks away from having Mel. I was huge and I could barely breathe. Um, but I did love it. You know, part of me loved it. Part of me loved the excitement, the hustle, the people, I mean, the, the family that we had created, you know, with our customers, um, it, it was, you know, it, it was hard to walk away from. And it, it hurts to look back on all of that. And I think that really the real reason why I wanted to share all of this was for one, just to be honest and transparent with you guys about that we all come from our own fair share of failures and our own fair share of places that we could have done better 
and times that we sat and wallowed in rock bottom and we spun our tires and we quote unquote wasted time. And that if you feel this way, that you're not alone. And so now I think, how did I get from there to here? And that's what's hard. And it's not a follow these five steps and you'll get to where I am. You know, it's not that. It's not that easy. But I kept slowly moving forward. I did, I tried to focus on what was ultimately most important. And I wanted to show up for my kids. I wanted to show up for myself. I didn't want to spend any longer at rock bottom. So I slowly, and I think about it now as like a, you know, I had weights on my ankles, you know, like it was hard to move forward. But I started by rolling off the couch. I started by crawling. I started by walking and then hustling to get to where I am now. It started slow. It was like I was running in quicksand for a while there. But I kept waking up and I kept dragging myself out of bed through the depression, through the failure, through the darkness. And I kept trying to do my best. I kept showing up when it was hard. Um, I kept thinking about, I don't want to feel this way forever. I kept thinking, you feel like you screwed up June's first two years of life. You don't want to look back at all 18 of them, all 18 years of her childhood and feel like you screwed up all of them. So let's, let's turn the page. Let's make the next ones better. Let's keep going. And I look back and I'm not 100% sure how I did it because there's so much that was darkness. There's so much that I think depression stole memories from, you know, and really hard times. Sometimes you look back and it's just nothing, you know, you act, it feels like you didn't really live it because you don't fully remember it because the depression did steal some of that from me. Um, but I did get out. It happened slowly. And now I've learned through being honest, talking about it, owning, owning it, you know, um, working through it in therapy, a year of therapy, um, that I can look back on it now and I can remember some of the good times now. And I know now that I can't keep punishing myself for mistakes that I made in the past. And you can't either. Whatever mistakes you feel like you made in the past, you can't keep punishing yourself for them. You've got to get up. You've got to, even if it's like running through quicksand, keep going. Find something that is your driving force. If it's showing up for yourself, if it is knowing that I can't keep living this way for my kids, even if it's that, the smallest thing. Let that be the carrot that's dangling in front of you and get up. Drag yourself forward. Stop punishing yourself for the mistakes that you've made in the past. Learn from them. Go to therapy if you need to. Talk it out. Realize that you're not alone. You're not the only one that has done crappy stuff. You're not the only one that's had businesses fail. You're not the only one that feels like she was the worst mother in the world. You're not the only one that let their family get into debt. You're not the only one that let their house get so freaking out of control that you would have died of embarrassment if anyone ever looked in your closet. You're not alone. And realize that people do come out the other side. They do. They come out, they can survive it. You can grow through the darkness. Lightness, light, (laughs) lightness. There is light on the other side of the dark. And it happens and it's part of life. Failure is part of life. 
Have you ever seen a kid go from crawling to walking and never fall down once? No. (laughs) And then even after they've been walking for years, how many times does your toddler or your preschooler just randomly trip and fall? Like, oh gosh, I just forgot how to walk there for a second. Hang on. That's what we do as adults. We still do stuff like that. So from that, a sunny side up life was born. And that's how you, that's the the light. That's the, I needed that light in my life to get me through the darkness. Um, and I think that's where that came from, maybe. And so, yeah, that is what I wanted to share with you guys. Um, that was a lot. So thanks if you're still here listening um, for kind of letting me be vulnerable and letting me share. And I hope that this message helps you. I hope that I hope that I didn't just share all of this for no reason. <laughs> um, you're not alone. Okay, you're never, never, never alone. And if you need someone to reach out to, that person can be me. That person can be a trusted loved one. That person can be a helping professional. But please find a little glimpse of light and just keep walking towards it. Okay. I love you guys. I see you guys. You're not alone. Um, And that is all for me this week. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a Sunny Side Up Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend because you never know who needs to hear this message. If you haven't already, please leave a review and subscribe. Reviews and subscribers are what help the podcast grow and what help new ladies find our community. And again, thanks for hitting play on this episode and for investing some time in yourself today. Remember that I'm always here to support you and I'm always cheering you on along the way. Don't forget that everything that we mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. All right, that's all for me this week. Bye, guys.